0: So what kind of properties do you guys lend on? What
1: makes you stand out amongst other lenders?
0: What regions are you focused on? What's the
1: weirdest loan you have to process?
0: What are you seeing in the market?
1: What are your preferred loan parameters? Tell
0: us about your underwriting process.
1: How did you get into the lending space? This is Bips, your peek into the lender landscape, where we get into the minds of leading commercial real estate lenders to understand their perspective of the market, what they lend on, and how to get deals done. I'm Kimberly Zagler and your host, and this is my co-host, my older and wiser brother, Yaku
0: Ghar. Wait, wait, were you being sarcastic?
1: Today we're here with Elliot Harwitz. Elliot Harwitz is the founder and managing member of H-Equities LLC, a real estate investment company based in Brooklyn, New York, providing senior loans, MES loans, and preferred equity. They also provide GP and LP equity on land, multifamily, mixed use, and development projects. H-Equity started investing in Brooklyn in 2011 and expanded to Manhattan, the Bronx, Yonkers, New Jersey, Atlanta, and Miami. During Elliott's career, he has closed and consulted on commercial real estate acquisitions and loans with an aggregate value of over $800 million with sophisticated real estate investors and partners, many of whom are close friends and family. With extensive experience sourcing debt and equity investment opportunities, Elliot can conduct and oversee the financial analysis, due diligence, and underwriting of potential principal investments.
0: Most recently, Elliot provided a condo inventory loan in Astoria, Queens, a land loan in Soho, a loan for a mixed-use development site in Greenpoint, and help finance the development of a single family home in Crown Heights.
1: Elliot, it's great to connect today with you. Thanks for being here. We're very excited to hear about H Equities.
0: Hey, right. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much.
1: So Elliot, can you just jump right in and tell us about H equities and what you guys specialize in?
2: Sure. So we are an investment group run by myself. We have a bunch of group of friends and family investors. And a family office or two, and a couple of funds that we partner up with. And we have two facets of business. One's an equity business, one's a debt business. On the equity side, we invest in primarily multifamily properties. That's been in New York. It's moved out to Atlanta and New Jersey and Florida over the last couple of years. And that's mostly existing cash flowing properties with some upside in rent. And then on the debt business, we provide senior loans, MES loans, preferred equity. That's mostly been in New York. We have a loan or two in New Jersey, and those have run the gamut from, you know, eight-unit fix and flips to land loans to construction loans on condos to preferred equity on condo development and existing multifamily property, mostly centralized in New York. But again, we've expanded out a little bit into New Jersey with the loans, and we're trying to do some stuff in Florida now, and uh, hopefully we'll keep expanding as time goes on.
0: Very nice. What is the typical loan size that you guys look at? You know, equity check and loan size.
2: So the loan sizes have been, I would say, on average, four to five million dollars. We recently participated in a loan with a peer lender of about sixteen million. We've put equity into deals that have ranged anywhere from five hundred thousand to five million. So I'd say it's somewhere in that sub five million is probably where it is. But if something comes along that needs a much larger check. We've developed some nice relationships over time where we could provide that as well.
0: Got it. And is there a typical sort of LTV caps or what range do you guys look at in terms of where you sit on the capital stack?
2: Right. So I'm the last of the big risk takers, right? So I don't really like to go too high in the leverage side on the lending. I've done 80%. I've done 85%. they are far and few between on the lending side. They really penciled out well on those two particular transactions. And thankfully, we got paid off on both of them. So that's really good. Most of the time, we're somewhere in the seventy-ish percent range, and every deal is sort of different because, uh, you know, a development deal is sort of different than a multifamily existing building, and a piece of land is different than, you know, a warehouse in Queens that somebody might have owned for forty years, right? Yeah. So every deal, is sort of, every loan is sort of tailored to the borrower's need. And similarly, when we buy property, we tend not to take too much leverage. So we'll buy a building for, you know, whatever ten million dollars. And we're not taking 85% financing either. We prefer to take 65 to 70% financing. So we're sort of cautious on both sides. Right. So my advice is the same advice it's always been, right? Never get too levered and always be a downside, you know, where you might be missing something, you probably are. I find that a lot of investors, borrowers, very optimistic about what they're doing and they should be, right? But you sort of have to be cautiously optimistic, generally speaking, and specifically to now, You know, back January, February, you know, the world was, I guess, seemingly perfect. We all found out in March, April, May, and June that, you know, still in June now, the world wasn't so perfect. And if you weren't cautious into that, what looked like a perfect environment, then potentially you have a problem now. So I would say you always need to be, have your eye on the ball in terms of being a little cautious and conservative in the outlook, because you never know what's going to creep up on you.
0: Right. Have you seen your sort of loan parameters change or what you're looking for change at all given the circumstances? Uh, No, not really,
2: because if if a borrower was to come to me in January for a 90% loan, I wasn't doing it anyway, right? So, And I lost so much business over the last year or two to very high-levered, low-rate providers, which is essentially against my religion, right? So if somebody comes to me now for a 90% loan, I'm still not doing it, right? Right. If there's a cogent argument for an 80% loan, we might consider it. But generally speaking, I still prefer to be lower levered where borrowers have equity in and low leverage is better for them and better for me. Some borrowers don't realize that. But you know, it's it's better for them. It's, it's better for the borrower and the lender.
0: Right. What are you seeing or what's your sort of expectation about how some of these asset types that you're involved in, you know, whether it's condo inventory or construction, et cetera, how those are going to be affected? Post COVID, do you think it's going to be a long term effect or do you think we'll bounce back pretty quick or what are you seeing already?
2: So the market itself is like you know, sort of bifurcated in New York, right? So you have these 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollar condos that everybody talks about, but I'm not in that business, right? Right. So it's a rarefied air of buyer that can buy a 40 million dollar condo, right? Right. Sort of, you have a million dollar condo, an $800,000 condo, which is the space where we're mostly in, a million two. You know, there's a bigger buyer pool. And oftentimes, given the finance that's available, it results in sort of a mortgage payment that's sort of like a rent payment in terms of dollars if you put down your down payment. So I think because we cautiously went into a couple of deals on construction and condo inventory pre-COVID, we were comfortable at that leverage even if the market went down. But a lot of those units were not priced more than a million, too. I mean, a lot of them are under a million dollars. So I kind of think there's a good buffer there. For that type of buyer, Uh, under normal circumstances and under maybe distressed circumstances, the guy, the couple that might have bought a $2 million condo may say, you know what, let me buy that $800,000 condo and let's see what happens, right? So I'm very grateful that I'm not in the business of, you know, 5, 10, 15, $20 million condos because when it goes away, it goes away pretty quick.
0: Yep, absolutely what are sort of the best practices that you've experienced or what makes it really easy for brokers or borrowers who are our listeners to get a deal done with you? Obviously, other than uh, low leverage, you know, great slam dunk deal, Like, what are the steps in that process that help it get done quickly and help you evaluate a deal? That's a good
2: question. Look, it can be a little higher leverage. I want to point that out. But again, there has to be a reason for that leverage, sure. Yeah. But that aside, an address would be helpful. You know, sometimes people call up an address and they say, "Hey, <laughs> would you lend on a piece of land in New Jersey?" I go, "Great, New Jersey's a big place. Like where?" Yeah. You know, so for starters, that's sort of a good start. An address, business plan, a takeout loan, how you're going to pay off the loan, some sort of real deep knowledge and understanding of your deal. Like you have to know the basics. Like a lot of people, and no pun intended. They don't really know the foundation of their deal. They just don't, right? Right. The broker may not know or the borrower may not know. And they're almost like taking a shot, like, oh, we're going to do this and that. It's going to work out. And I said, have you done it before? And they go, no. Okay, so I think you really have to have a very sound business plan and a very cogent argument why that loan could be taken out, whatever the leverage is, 70%, 60%, 80%. You have to sort of be able to document it. And then sort of stress test it and say what happens if it doesn't work out perfectly and i think that's sometimes people don't really stress test their deals where you know their spreadsheet says the four cap exit but the market right now is a six cap and they're sort of guessing or hoping it'll be a four cap in two years from now and guess what it won't be right hmm. so you have to sort of
0: well who knows maybe <laughs> just a question of who wants to take that risk on yeah, I, don't, I Okay, so maybe you're
2: probably not, right? But, <laughs> but Maybe you're probably not, right? Yeah. So, uh, the four-cap, I used the scenario, the four-cap exit in Bushwick was a big selling point on a lot of deals a year or two ago. Not for me, right? I didn't right. Sort of believe in that, four-cap exit in Bushwick, right? And now we're seeing, unfortunately, it doesn't exist, right? So I think you always have to sort of have a backup plan. Like your plan A is to do this, but if plan A doesn't work, you have to know that plan B Kind of gets you out, saves your equity, and pays off your lender.
0: Yeah. Cool. Another question, Elliot. You know, the whole world of a lot of these private lenders really started post 2007, 2008, sort of had a massive, seemingly long term effect on the real estate lending world. What do you see? in terms of next massive shifts, if any, whether it's related to technology or operation or, you know, structuring capital, what's your vision of the future of real estate finance?
2: So I'm not smart enough to know anything about technology, right? But I think what's been missing is that person-to-person sort of touch and feel. Like a lot of loans we've done, have been to borrowers and people that I know for a long time who may have had a liquidity need that they don't want the whole world knowing about, right? Which is a very sort of intimate way to get a deal done, right? They don't want to go to a fund. They don't want to go to a guy they didn't know. And similarly, I've had brokers call me and say, please make this loan. This barber is very unsophisticated and they may get chewed up out there in the real world, right? So I've done a lot of those. I kind of think, I don't know what the next technological hurdle is or the next technological advancement is in lending, but I kind of think in the old fashioned way, it's sort of a people business and it's person to person. And you have to sort of understand the reason behind the loan. Like we did a loan a year and a half ago. A very low levered loan to a borrower that had all sorts of tax issues, credit issues, this problem, that problem, the other problem. But I met with the guy and I saw through all of that. And, you know, this lender didn't want to do it and that lender didn't want to do it because his credit was bad, you know, tax lien and whatnot. But I kind of met with the guy and saw through, you know, all his issues and challenges and, you know, got the deal done. So maybe that's something a spreadsheet really can't uh turned out to be a great loan and a year later he paid me off. I was sort of happy for the guy, but sad to see my good loan go. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, a year later he paid me off. But that sort of person to person thing is maybe being lost a little bit in terms of technology. So I kind of personally believe that's for me that's the best way to keep doing it. But I think I don't really have a read on what the next massive technological advance will be.
1: Exactly, Elliot. It's gonna be very interesting to see how the industry evolves and what technology comes out. So another question for you when you were starting out, is there anything you wish you knew?
2: So I kinda wish I knew the laws of zoning better when I first started out. And I still wish I knew them better today because I think a lot of loans sometimes, personally speaking, I either lose or maybe don't grasp because I'm like a keep it simple, stupid guy, like, right? You have a yeah. $10 million property, you need 3000000 bucks, million, I'm in, right? Very simple, right? Very, very simple. When things get a little more complex with zoning law and this minutia and that minutia, so that's one thing. The other thing would be, I kind of wish I knew that in the early days of my uh, real estate I figured out quick enough that you really, and I said it earlier, you really have to know your deal. Like in the beginning, I was a little unfocused and trying to do this and trying to do that and figuring this out, figuring that out. And that never works. It never works. So you have to sort of be kind of hyper-focused on what you're doing and really dig into it and get it. Those are the two things that kind of stick out. There's probably a thousand more I can think of. but I don't know if we have a thousand hours of time, but on the broader picture, those would be two things.
0: We'll start a new podcast. I think we should start a new podcast,
2: yeah. You can call it the mistakes I've made in my life. That would be a great one. There you go. <laughs> if you want to do that one, we could do a whole other segment called the mistakes I've made and how i Bounce bounced back from them or something
0: like that. I'm sure there's a lot to learn there. You have no idea.
1: <laughs> and we have a lot of young listeners. Do you have any advice for them or any advice for people getting into the industry?
2: Learn from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Start off a- Learning from the bottom. Yes, for sure. Do not think because you're smart and you're probably all smart and you're 22 or 23 or whatever, you should become the CEO of a company tomorrow. And there's a certain segment of segment of young people that will be able, able to do that. But I think for the most part, you need to learn your deals cold. You need to know the business. You have to have an intelligent conversation with potential clients, with potential borrowers, with potential lenders. The smarter they think you are, because you are smart and you know what you're talking about, the more business you'll get. If you sort of say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, no one's going to really want to respond to I don't know. And it's okay not to know something because you can't know everything, but you really got to know the foundation, seriously, no pun intended, of what you're doing, the basic metrics, keep building on it, keep asking a million questions of people. You need to have that intelligent sounding conversation, not I'm 25 and I'm a CEO of a company, I know everything. Nobody wants to hear it. They want to hear intelligent, value, and coaching.
1: Yes, for sure, Elliot. Another question is there anything that you would advise borrowers not to do during this time? Okay. So
2: other than over-leveraging, specifically yesterday, we had a conversation with my borrower and a broker. And there's a second conversation after about 10 days of requesting some other information. I was asking a bunch of questions and it was literally going nowhere. I know it. The borrower kept telling me it's a great deal, and the broker, kept, it's a great deal, and this is great, and that's great, I'm paying two and a half, and it's worth a hundred million, or whatever, it's worth four million. So I kept asking a lot of questions, I couldn't get answers. So finally, finally, the borrower hung up on me. Right? So after I couldn't get the question, he hung up on me. So after he hangs up on me, I'm like, okay, great, he hung up, big deal. Then the broker says to me, What can I do to get you comfortable here? Right now, that guy was so clueless because literally there's nothing you can do to get anyone comfortable, particularly a lender, when a borrower hangs up on you. Right. So, my sort of one of my thesis and my my thinking is you know, if a borrower who seemed like a very nice guy, maybe had a bad day, I don't know. I don't know if he's listening or not. Maybe had a bad day, but you know, he just seemed like a decent guy, maybe a little bit aggressive in his, his request, which is fine. But generally speaking, if someone's going to be difficult while you're trying to give them money, like imagine how difficult they might be when you're trying to collect your money, right? So I want to avoid all of that.
0: That's awesome. What fun things have you been up to during quarantine? Oh, wow,
2: so much. So I've been very fortunate to, I guess, be able to work from home, right? And now in the summertime, we move and I bring my whole family with us. So now I'm able to see my two beautiful granddaughters on a daily basis. Wow. Morning, noon, and night. You know, one's almost three and one's four months. So that I'm able to sort of, See them in the morning before work, in the afternoon during work, and at night after work on a seven-day-a-week basis, and be able to work, which is really a is really a blessing, a real real blessing. You
0: know, that's awesome,
1: Elliot. It was absolutely great to have you on the show. We love speaking to you, Elliot. What is the best way for our listeners to reach you?
0: Sure, great.
2: So you can email me at Elliot E L L I O T at hequities.com
1: amazing good deals only good deals
2: only right only good ones not the bad ones <laughs> yeah
1: we will put your information in the description thank you so much for joining us
2: all right I appreciate you. thanks Elliot thank you so much
0: take care thanks for joining us for this episode we hope you learned something new tune in next week when we speak to another lender in the industry until then take care this was BIPs your peek into the lender landscape.
1: As Jay-Z says, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here.
0: Kim, everyone's already home. Oh.